I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this FT Work and Careers podcast. I'm Isabel Barrick, Executive Editor of Work and Careers. And the podcast you're about to hear is an edited live recording of an event we ran here at the FT in July 2018. We called it How to Talk About Money at Work, because money is still such a huge taboo. We really know very little about how to ask for a pay rise, for example, how to negotiate on money, or even how to measure the value of our work in more than monetary terms. Our three expert panellists came from the corporate, entrepreneurial and academic worlds, and between them, they had a wealth of advice for the people who came along on the night, and now for you too. We hope you find it as useful as we did. After all, if you don't ask for a pay rise, you won't get one. What have you got to lose? Hello, I'm Isabel Berwick and I'm Executive Editor of FT Work and Careers. And welcome to our latest FT Engage event, How to Talk About Money at Work. FT Engage is an event series offering an opportunity for readers to talk to journalists and our invited guests and be part of the conversation across a wide range of topics. You can find the whole list of forthcoming events at ft.com forward slash engage. Now on to the main event, and I'd like to welcome our guests. On my immediate left here, Gillian Koo. She's Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour at London Business School, where she teaches on the MBA and Executive Education courses. Her teaching focuses on decision-making, negotiation and leading teams, so exactly what we're going to be talking about tonight. I'm delighted Gillian has come to us, and her research is specifically on the dynamics of emotionally charged decision-making uh, within auction houses, I think, is one of your areas. And Gillian also does research on perspective, i.e. putting yourself in the shoes of others. In the middle, Emma Humphreys, Chief Financial Officer at Unruly. It's the advertising video marketplace that's all, all owned by News Corp. Emma started her career in accountancy. She qualified at Ernst & Young, but has been at News Corp for the last 15 years in a variety of senior commercial and financial roles, joining Unruly last year. And last but not least, Pip Jameson, founder of The Dots. It's a networking hub for no-collar workers, creatives, freelancers, uh, entrepreneurs, and it says millennials, but I presume it's people of any age. Yes. (laughs) She started as an economist, um, so perhaps we can talk about that later, (laughs) before moving into marketing for MTV in Australia and New Zealand. Over there, she founded The Loop in 2009, which was designed as a more creative version of LinkedIn before she came to the UK to start her own platform in 2014. So welcome, all of you. I wanted to start by asking each of our guests just to recount something that sums up something that's happened to them around money and work at any time during their career. I've got no idea what they're going to say. So who'd like to go first? (laughs) Pip, how about you? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I, I was actually just thinking about my early career. I think the first time that I was shocked about talking about money was the first time I actually asked for a pay rise and got it. Um, And I suddenly realized that no one ever gets fired for asking a pay rise and you might actually get it. And I, it sort of, for me, started a train of thought that we've come to realize a pattern in our community that 
women in particular are very bad at asking for pay rises and I, I stressed about it so much and then I asked for it and I got it and I think that was the first realisation that you might as well just ask because if you don't ask you don't get. <laughs> Emma. So as you said I started at Ernst & Young, that's where I um, started my working life and it was drilled into me quite early on that pay is a sensitive subject because as an auditor you have to look at payroll and um, I was absolutely petrified of leaving the payroll for the company I was working at on the photocopier and I still feel like that now because I have to deal with a lot of, of pay information and I'm just so kind of careful that it doesn't um, get out of my hands and into the, um, the ecosystem because it is such a, a kind of emotive subject for everyone. I think we can all sympathise with that. Although it's quite fun when you find somebody else's. <laughs> I remember I once, I once found a whole list of what columnists were paid. Sorry, I should probably shouldn't say this. A long time ago at the FTM. And uh, anyway, yes, suffice to say they were all paid a lot more than any of us were. Gillian. Um, so uh, many, many years ago, before I became an academic, I was actually worked for a few years with Disney. Um, I was a financial analyst there. Um, and... Uh, you know, I was paid whatever I was paid, uh, and I was very grateful for it because you know, this was my first job coming out of college. Well, I didn't know anything. I was just happy to have a job. Um, and then I think about two years in, my boss just kind of told me, we're going to give you a pay rise, a substantial pay rise, um, because um, you've been underpaid compared to the rest of your sort of like peers in your cohort. Um, the interesting thing is that my reaction to that was just one of gratitude, right? Again, just like, oh, you know, I'm so lucky to be paid, you know, that I'm working for a company that's fair enough and a boss that's good enough to put me on par with everybody else. Fast forward, you know, 15, 20 years later, and I realized actually there should have been part of me that was just a little bit annoyed. And it's not just about catching me up to where other people were, were at that point in time, but what about all the time that had elapsed where I wasn't paid um, uh, on par with everybody else. So mine was um, relatively recently, uh, somebody gave me the tip that when you go in to ask for a pay rise, you say, how much do you think would be an appropriate rise for this job? And that had literally never occurred to me. <laughs> so that's my, that was my key takeaway. Okay, so money is a big taboo. So let's start right at the beginning. Why is it such a tricky subject? It's, it's, it's some sort of psychological block that prevents us from being totally open when we're in our jobs, when we're negotiating. Um, I even do it when I'm commissioning people. You know, I'll, I'll send them an, e an email commissioning them to write. And there's something, quite often, I'll not say what the pay rate is for it. Um, it's somehow, I think that's changing now. Quite often freelancers will ask, which I really like. Mm -hmm. But there's some, there's some residual thing going on there. Gillian, what is, as, a, as an academic, <laughs> what is it? Um, you know, I mean, I think it is a hesitancy that just shouldn't be there, right? I mean, I think it goes to um, a, a couple of things. One, if it's gender-related, that women just don't feel comfortable asking. Uh, I mean, there is actually a whole book called Women Don't Ask um, about the fact that women generally don't negotiate. Um, and then the rest of it, you know, and uh, understanding that my bias is around negotiations is I think people just don't feel comfortable negotiating, particularly when it comes to money because that uh, takes a relationship and it puts it into something that is financially based. Um, uh, but just more broadly, we don't know how to negotiate, uh, we don't know what we should be doing, and that puts us in a situation where, where we have to ask for something or we have to offer pay for a particular position, we just don't know how to approach it. 
Um, and, and one of the things that is very clear is that that is a very, very learnable skill, right? So uh, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it, but there are just some very key things that one needs to do in order to be able to uh, negotiate not just money, but things in general. And Emma, have you, have you, when you were at Ernst & Young, for example, that's a money-based act. Was, were people still coy there about? Yeah, I don't think it matters yeah. what the company does. Um, I think money is always a sensitive subject. I, I think it's, um, can I say, cultural yeah. as well. Some cultures would be, you know, a more um, accustomed to negotiating, others less so. But I would echo what Gillian said. I was just actually thinking back, and I don't think I've ever really had a woman negotiate with me, but I've had a few men, quite a few men, negotiating on pay rises. Fascinating. And you, mm. and Pip, you're dealing with freelancers. Yeah, freelancers Mainly. in the creative industries, and that um, freelancers are getting better. Good. Um, creative industries are, tend to be pretty terrible. I think sometimes they just feel like they're so lucky to work in the creative industries, they but, don't ask for the pay. But there is that feeling, isn't there, that um, particularly in the legacy industries like media, you know, you're lucky to have a job or lucky to have work. Yeah, and I think, I mean, what everyone has to remember right now, I mean, there's a massive creative industry skill shortage and we're at the lowest levels of unemployment we've been in like 42 years. So actually you should be paid what you're worth and you can be paid what you're worth. And I think there's always been this mishmash, especially in the creative industry, is that you, know, you don't get paid to be a creative and that's not the case at all. So it's a, it's a very valued skill these days. So are there, when we talk about how money is treated in workplaces, are, is there any best practice that any of you have come across or is it, has anything hit you? Because I'm, I'm struggling to think of any sort of best practice. For, and, and also in terms of open pay structures, because that's often cited as a way for people to see, you know, uh, for example, the public service with grades or the BBC has grades. Although I noticed last week that the BBC had banned some staff from talking to other staff about what their pay is. So, um, Julian, is there any best practice? What could we look for? What could the, we... the research is very mixed on this, right? right? I mean, put yourself in two scenarios. If uh, pay structures and bans and all of that are completely transparent, one might think, that, you know, the hope is that, okay, with all of this transparency, everybody's going to be very happy because you know where you stand and all that. But I think experience also tells us, uh, not really. Um, uh, when there's bands and structures and everything, there's, going to be, there's still going to be questions of why is that person in this band and why am I not in that band? And uh, what about the other person? Why, you know, why, why are they so low down? Whatever, all of these social comparisons are just going to create unhappiness. But at the other extreme, if you think of the flip side, there's no transparency at all. People are also going to be unhappy with that because now it seems as though it does. You know, you you, you don't know where you stand, what you're supposed to do, how it is that you uh, get a promotion or a pay raise or whatever it is. So, uh, unfortunately, the the answer is extremely complicated, and the research doesn't is not able to support one clear um, uh, uh, suggestion or method going forward. So pay bans could be a kind of displacement activity, almost. Yeah, I mean, and I also want to pick up on this idea of um, that you mentioned this, uh, this notion that people are being asked not to talk yes. about their pay, right? Um, so um, uh, I think comp some companies in the UK and then also s uh, some states and cities in the US are beginning to ban um, employers from asking potential employees what their salary history is. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons for doing that is actually to try and um, uh, remove some of these gender disparities in pay. 
So if you can think about it, if, um, if, if I'm interviewing uh, with you and you ask me how much I'm paid, however much you <coughs> offer me may be biased by how much I made previously. Yeah. However, if I'm a mother and I've taken time off, that pay, uh, affects my pay history. And, and so maybe this is why some of these um, discussions around removing um, uh, conversations around pay are coming about. Interesting. Emma, have you, have, what did you say about this? Yeah, um, I find banding quite interesting. I haven't worked, I think Ernst & Young is probably quite akin to that, um, but News Corp isn't. It's very much a meritocracy, and um, I would say and really is as well. Um, and I just feel like bandings are a good way to blame the system. Um, it's a good excuse, I, I can only pay you this yeah. because of the system. Um, so it's kind of an easy get out for managers. And I also can't actually imagine how it works in practice because you always have anomalies where someone's come in externally and on a higher salary, won't accept the band, or someone is being poached and you want to keep them so you increase their salary. So I can't actually imagine how that works in practice, but I've never, you know, haven't yes. worked in such an organisation. Um, but I, I also don't think it really fits uh, the way kind of society is moving with more agile companies. And I, I would think of bandings as quite restrictive in terms of your potential future career, because you would think you have to go one, two, three, four, five, whereas someone might be excellent and might jump. And that would seem to restrict that. So I wouldn't think it would be kind of in line with how we read millennials yeah. are approaching the workplace. Yeah, I mean, you know, banding... I, I, Not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I find it really interesting in, in especially the kind of freelance marketplace where, you know, you have set rates, but it's, it's, it's tough because, I mean, anything with digital tech in front of it right now will command higher rates. But then if you're getting teams that are kind of negotiating, as you said, like you're a project manager, a tech project manager on different bandings, I think it does get complicated. I think really what's the root problem? We need to make sure that people are paid their worth. Mm -hmm. um, and someone I thought who did this really well is a company called Bra um, Brain Labs. I don't know if you know Brain Labs. They're, um, they're an SEO company. They've got like 300 people out of Old Street. And the founder actually did the gender pay gap and realized that the women were being paid around 16% less than the men. So he gave all women in the business a 16% pay rise, and I thought that was brilliant. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we talked a little bit about you know, disclosure of starting salaries, yeah. um, particularly when you're starting out. For example, you know, that can be really hard. If you're a new graduate or you're just at the beginning of your career, quite often jobs will be advertised as entry-level jobs with no uh, salary attached. But I would have thought that would be one area where it would be really good for companies to be transparent about what the pay is because you've got people coming in with very little job. I mean, this is, I've got a friend who works in publishing who always, whenever she sees a tweet about a job opportunity that's coming in entry-level, she tweets back to the publisher and says could you tell us what the pay range is? Because I, I, I think there's still a complete lack of transparency for people right at the beginning. I mean, what have, what have companies got to lose? Why are they not, you know, Pip, have you got any idea why they're not... Is it, they're just seeing what they can get away with? I mean, it's really interesting yeah. in terms of our data. Yeah. And the majority of businesses that post jobs on the dots do not reveal their salary. Um, and actually, but even for like, I suppose, entry level jobs, entry probably level not. as well. I mean, yeah. we do have so it's free to advertise internships yeah. on the dots, for example. But we have a rule that has to be 
um, working wage only. So we ripped down any charlatans out there. But at the same time, when we first launched the dots, we had like salary was mandatory and loads of our clients were coming back to us and saying, we just don't want to have that information out there. So we did have to change it. So it's mandatory, but they can hide it. Um, and I think, you know, it's partly around competition. They don't necessarily yeah. want, want their competitors to know what they're paying other people. Uh, you know, and it's also partly around some brands can attract younger talent. You know, we Burberry is one of our clients, you know, that people tend to want to work for Burberry over, say, another fashion brand. So there is all this sort of complexity that sits behind. But I think, you know, the whole way there are so many salary surveys online now. I mean, mm. you just have to Google it. I think there is transparency on what you should be earning. So you need to do your research and see, OK, for my role, what is the benchmark in the industry and go in and expect that and negotiate that and that's what you should be paid um and there are yeah there's just endless just google salary survey <laughs> just out of interest how many people here have gone into a job where the salary has been advertised or oh, not not that many so everybody else has gone into jobs where it's been hmm, we'll talk about it further down the line See, that's very, I think 20 years ago it was really different and they used to have the job ads in The Guardian, didn't they, with the salary? So I, I, it is what, so that companies have flexibility, yeah. for sure. Because yeah. I've, I've got personal experience, not me, but um, someone I know very well <laughs> went for a, um, a job which had entry-level graduates in it and he was transferring within the business from another stream and he knew what the entry-level salary was for for the external graduates, and he was not offered that um, mm. because he was on a lower internal salary, and so he was taken halfway there. So, it, yeah, it's for that reason. Yes. I think also though it does give it gives businesses flexibility. So you know yeah. we hired an amazing partnerships lead. We didn't advertise the salary on the job. She ended up being more qualified. But actually, we ended up, she's coming off her mum had sabbatical, so we ended up reducing her to four days a week so that we could afford her. And mm. actually, if I'd advertised the salary, she probably wouldn't even apply for mm. it, and she's absolutely incredible. So it enabled me as an employer to be mm. flexible, going, I want this woman, let's work out a way that I'm still paying her what she's worth, um, and then now she gets extra time with her So is one. there an argument for sort of having more uh, fixed pay when we go in mm. at entry level, and then it becomes more, I mean, that seems to be sort of what happens, it becomes mm. more flexible. So that's certainly what it used to be. I think now there's a lot more mm, at the bottom too. So how, what I'm quite fascinated by how open should one be at work? Because I've, uh, I've read lots of articles, you know, in the wake of uh, Me Too and gender pay gap, a lot of women sharing with other women what they earn. And I've also recently, when I was pre prepping for this, I read lots of articles, actually American often, saying there are lots of reasons why you should not ever talk about work to your colleagues, I mean, pay to your colleagues. Um, what are the potential downsides? Gillian, are there? I think it's exactly what we said before, right? There's going to be social comparisons. You're going to compare yourself to somebody else. But is that a, that's a, that's a sort of a work office politics issue rather than a, a pay issue? Um, I, I mean, it becomes orcs. I, I think it, it's all encompassing. Right? Yeah. So, you know, if I know how much you're making, then I'm going to say, well, hang on a second, you know, oh, uh, you know, let's say I make more. I'm so happy, you know, and then, but you're going to feel bad about yeah. it. And when you feel bad about it, you're going to start saying, well, why is Jillian making more than I am? You know, what's she got that I don't got? You know, what is she doing that I'm not doing? Is she really, you know, does she really deserve that amount? Right, so it just begets all of this conversation that's not just about the pay, no. but then also about responsibilities, work, 
uh, commitment and all of these things. And at the end of the day, we're all very good at justifying what it is that uh, our perspective, right? And, and thinking that somebody else has a better deal than we do in an unfair way. Um, so I, I don't think it's overly productive. Mm. Uh, and it's particularly, I think, scary if you have partial information. Yeah. If you don't have a complete sense of, mm. uh, right now, especially when you're thinking about gender pay gap, you know, if you, uh, if you go and uh, survey all the men that you work with and you find out what they're making, but you don't survey all the women, you actually don't know where women stand versus men uh, and whether there's a, the differences that you're seeing are because of gender or just because of some other facet um, that, ex that is part and parcel of the work. So mm. I, I think it's kind of dangerous. Mm. I think it breeds resentment yeah. as well. I think, I, you know, in my line of work, you know everyone's salary. Well, I know everyone's salary in my company and I just try and treat it like numbers. I don't associate it with the person because as Gillian was saying, you can kind of go off down rabbit holes thinking, well, I work harder than that person. It's just, if you're happy with, this is my philosophy anyway, if you're happy with what you earn, then be happy about it. If you're not happy, do something about it. Um, don't just let it eat you up inside. Um, on a related note, how, when we're talking about how do we ask male colleagues what, what they earn, I mean, we, we addressed this recently in the paper uh, and our dear Jonathan column career advice and his advice was to approach management as a group to get to depersonalize it and to get some sort of salary survey going I mean we talked a bit about salary service and and, it, and he's also saying that can strategically enhance corporate reputation so a sort of a corporate openness mm. is actually advantageous whereas it can be pernicious for individuals. Yeah, I mean, I think it's consistent with this company yeah. that you mentioned mm. with, you know, they did uh, uh, an analysis of the entire organization, mm. found that there was a systematic gender gap, mm. yeah. and then fixed it. Mm. So it's a way to stay professional, mm. I guess, while also finding out if you're paid mm. uh, what, what you're happy with. Mm. And I think it's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, I and I think there's historical reasons like people saying, what were you paid before that this gender gap is? It's not necessarily the company you're working at right now. It's prob well, not problem, it is their problem, but it's not necessarily something they meant to do. Mm -hmm. And I think, has anyone ever seen the YouTube video online where they've got two kids and they're doing a test and it's a boy and a girl and you think it's like a test and actually at the end they then pay them with sweets and the girl gets half the amount of sweets that the boy gets and what's the most lovely thing about that is the boy starts paying her for his sweets oh. and I think that sums it up I think you know people don't mean to necessarily there are very few people who are maliciously trying to do this now um, I think you know good managers good businesses do want to fix this problem so understanding the problem and then going to fix it as opposed to it's us against them I think is a lovely way of approach it's we, 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 the pay gap has come for so many different complex reasons but it's more what a business is doing now to fix that. So actually, we're talking about this in a really good moment, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so anybody here would be pushing against an open door in terms of getting that conversation going yeah. in their workplace. Yeah. So when you're, this is probably the big one for everyone here and one for you, Jim. <laughs> when you're negotiating a pay rise, what are the tips? Do your homework. I mean, I think it goes back to what Pippa said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do your homework, figure out what you're worth, okay? Um, and uh, the information is, 
if you just put a little bit of time and effort into it, it's not that difficult to figure it out. Figure out what the internal pay structure is, figure out what the external market looks like, and have a sense of what it is that you're worth. And when you have a sense of what you're worth, um, the research actually suggests that you should go in and make and request that. Um, uh, obviously, you need to have, you will have to understand and, and done your homework, but making that first offer uh, <coughs> is actually going to give you a much, a, a very large uh, uh, advantage from a negotiation standpoint. So there's a lot of debate over. Uh, should you make a first offer in a negotiation or should you not make the first offer in a negotiation? The research suggests that you should. Um, you're basically taking advantage of um, uh, uh, some ways that we make decisions um, that will basically, that number anchors uh, the other side. It anchors their counter offers, it anchors uh, uh, how it is that they negotiate. And in general, if you ask for more, you will get more. Yeah. In general. Mm. Yeah. Wow. You can't argue with logic. It's very difficult to argue with logic. So if someone's coming to you with actual facts rather than kind of emotion, it's, it's very... So not I feel or I yeah. deserve yeah. a pay rise. Yeah. Mm. It's justified by um, you know, external data, things you've done, projects you've worked on, successes you've had. It's very hard to argue against that and also um, you should think about the kind of um, the best realistic alternative um, so I've done the training <laughs> 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 um, you know are you do you have a specific skill set that's difficult to um, to recruit for mm. how long does it take to recruit in your mar in your field in your country all those kind of things give you, you know, power yeah give you power yeah I, I love that I mean it's kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes I mean the other person will be there in in their brain go oh my gosh I could lose this person and then I've got to hire a person then I've got to train mm. a person mm -hmm. and the power is actually in in your hands it's more just getting that kind of you know courage to go and ask and again no one ever got fired for get, you know, asking for a pay rise. I think another thing that um, people sort of underestimate is the emotional, where your mm. um, boss is emotionally at that stage. Sometimes people suddenly pluck up the courage and grab their boss and drag them into a room. The thing is, is people are more amenable if they're in a good mood yes. and they're more relaxed. So if they're stressed, they've got a board meeting coming up, they've got a big management <laughs> meeting, just don't ask them because they'll be just thinking about something else. Um, but if you see them in a good mood, you've planned in the meeting, you take them for a coffee, you're much more likely and it is then becomes an emotional state of them, not okay. you, um, and then go into this is what I'm worth, this is why I'm worth it. Yeah. And never frame it like, you know, I need to afford my, you know, extra Saturday's night or... Um, That's quite common though. It is it? really yes. common. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford to, yeah, get a bigger home or something like that. But yeah, if you, if you do your homework and, and get them in a really good mood, it's my <coughs> advice. Um, in terms of the research you've done in putting yourself in others' shoes, what are the reasons why they are going to say no? Uh, they're plentiful, and I think they're too context or uh, specific for me to, to, to want to speculate. But um, talking about that, I, you know, and consistent with some of the comments that have been said, it's really important to put yourself in the other side's um, uh, shoes. Think about their perspective, right? So if you're going in to ask um, your boss for a pay raise, mm -hmm. 
think about what their worldview looks like, right? So one, um, it, their interests are going to be about keeping you happy because you're, you know, apparently you, you've done a really good job, right? Um, it's about the, what their alternatives look like. So understanding their interests, what their fundamental motivations are, can help you to think about ways to ask for what it is that you want. So momentarily, if we just, I know we're talking about money, and by all means, money is important, um, but it's sometimes useful to think about things beyond money that are useful, right? So going to Pip's example about this person whom they hired and they really wanted her, but they couldn't afford her at uh, the, the, the money that she was asking for, they came up with a creative solution of saying, okay, what about you work for us for four days? When you understand the other side's interest by putting yourself in their shoes, it allows you to potentially come up with more creative ideas uh, during the negotiation to, to sort of like solve the problem. Yeah, as, a, as an accountant, I do feel like I have to bring the bottom line. Because, <laughs> you know... You've only got a certain budget for exactly. rises. That's like, exactly you know, right. And often, I think, in many yeah. workplaces, there are many people they would love to give pay yeah. rises to. Yeah, yeah. and um, so I think it's important that you, when you're putting yourself in your boss's shoes, you kind of think about the company that you're working yeah. in, the, the financial pressures that the company is under. Um, because as you say, you know, I would love to give everyone really big pay rises, but I have a certain budget and I have to work within that. And, um, you know, it's not always the case that you can get outside of that budget for incremental um, pay rises. And it's not just, you know, startups, it's very difficult when you're, um, you know, needing funding. And it's amazing that um, the one that you talked about was able to do that. That's fantastic. Um, but that's not always within everyone's mm. gift. But it's not just startups. Companies such as Google, for example, or someone who's managing a share price, they need to keep increasing profits and um, therefore they're not going to be able to just give out pay rises like there's no tomorrow. So I think that's quite important to understand the company's financial situation. Do any of you have experience with um, a sort of corporately negotiated pay rise? For example, here in editorial at the FT we have a union which uh, organises a pay or negotiates a pay rise. I mean, is there a I think I'm, I sense that's less, you know, obviously in many workplaces they're not unionised, but is there an argument particularly for women to group together to, to use the same sort of survey data and collaborative data to, to negotiate group pay rises? Or is that something that really one should be doing on, or is it a combination, do you think? I suppose it depends on the workplace particularly. Has that ever, you've never come across anything, a group coming with, I no, personally have no. no. I mean, it's an interesting idea, right? I mean, people are grouping together. Yeah. Women yeah. are grouping. Yeah. I mean, that's a. Thing. Don't think it's a bad yeah. idea. No. Yeah. Um, actually, our, um, I experienced one of the um, exec in in our business actually approached me voluntarily with a white paper on the pay in. Um, his particular sector, and he so he wanted to educate me about um, the market in his sector. Um, before we started annual pay reviews. So that's kind of an yeah. example. So it goes to research, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's you can become your own negotiator as well. I mean, a book that transformed my life was um, Getting to Yes. I'm dyslexic, so I might have just mucked up the title, but Google no, no. it will come up. Did I get it right? Um, it was more of a business book, but it actually really helped me frame my negotiation skills because it is about putting yourself in other people's shoes, understanding their side of things. So read Getting to Yes, it really, really helped me. Right. <laughs> okay. 
just I wanted to talk a little bit about um, <coughs> when we talk about money at work, we also talk about the money we deal with in our jobs. Mm. And it can be really daunting if you've been in a kind of lower level job and then you step up and you have to do spreadsheets, you have to do <laughs> budgets. My life. Yes. <laughs> this is, are there any shortcuts to this? Is there anything you could recommend to people who are just at the beginning of that part of their career? Mm. What, you know, are, what can they do to educate themselves? So if you're, if you're in a business, I would recommend going to finance and trying to um, make some friends there and get some help because finance always love someone who's proactive about their budget. So if you help, um, if my finance team were to help someone, we'd know that it'd be helping us in the long term yeah. because they'd be understanding things a bit better and um, we could kind of preempt any problems. So that's, you know, one option. For me, um, it's been building up like a portfolio of mentors. So I kind of have mentors for different areas of my business. Uh -huh. And um, I, you know, I have one mentor who is a VC who specifically looks after talent. So when it came to structuring my share option plans or structuring OKRs, I literally just, and actually setting pay grades for all my team, he sent me this huge, very expensive report, which he was not meant to send me, but it was wonderful. Um, and. Yeah, that's kind of really helped. It's kind of leaning, it's asking for help, either internally mm. or externally. Um, when it comes to like building up portfolios of mentors, top tips, I've found it really hard to get female mentors. And I know that sounds really weird, but I suddenly realized that there are less women and senior roles. And so I probably get about 60 emails a day from women wanting me to be their wow. mentor, but I, I physically couldn't have that many coffee. Mm. So women, <laughs> <laughs> I could try, but I'd be bouncing off the walls. Um, so going more senior than me, you know, they it's must tricky. get 600 a day. So the trick I learn is find very senior male mentors that have daughters and they tend to say yes. So my, I have literally punched <laughs> way above my weight in terms of the mentors that I have by going after incredible men that have daughters that want to see things change. And that's been like my big, big, big win <laughs> over the years. Well, well I learned it the hard way. Do you, have you used mentors or I presume you are a mentor? Um, I have used mentors, yeah. not from a finance point of view, but more for um, kind of career advice. Etc. Just one other thing I thought of is that um, so at Unruly we have quarterly co town halls where everyone attends and we talk about um, head financial headlines and I think that's really useful in educating the whole company on um, kind of a P&L and revenue and what's EBITDA, those kind of things that not everyone knows about. And I would also say ask questions. So sometimes um, one of my colleagues will take me aside and say, what does LTIP stand for? I didn't want to ask. And I said, well, you should have asked because I'm sure that half the room didn't know what that acronym <laughs> that I think, you know, that is everyday life for me means. So, yeah, ask questions. And no don't be afraid might. to ask the stupid questions. No, I there's think. no stupid no, questions, exactly. I don't think. No, I think so. Gillian, have you... What's your financial thing at work? Do you so, have to manage spreadsheets, uh, for budgets? Bet, well, um, I do it from a research standpoint, yeah. but so it's quite, it's, it's very different, right? I mean, and, and unfortunately, you know, my answer to the question, let's just think about it. I come from a business school. My, <laughs> my bias would be to say, go take a class um, <laughs> on the subject. Um, you know, we don't all have time to do that. We all don't. Uh, and sitting in classes is not the thing for everybody so you know if that doesn't work for you absolutely you know get 
people who can help you, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's a team or it's people who are higher up and mentors. Mm -hmm. Or read the Financial Times. <laughs> <laughs> With a dictionary. Yeah, other newspapers are available. So we've talked quite a lot about corporate life, but how do you know your own value when you're in a you're not comparing yourself with anyone. Pip, I mean, I presume you, there are these salary surveys you mentioned. How, I just, I think a lot of women particularly worry about, um, you know, going in all guns blazing and then looking a fool. Mm. I mean, again, you're never going to look a fool. Okay. I mean, a good, a good leader will always explain to you why they can't do this pay rise, whether it's because the pay rise is actually off kilter on what is actually the benchmark or the business is in trouble. I think, again, you, you're never a fool. I think this is the thing we've got to get over. Um, mm. I think doing your research really helps and having those facts to go in. But a good leadership team will always explain, you know, this is why we can't give you a pay rise or they will give you the pay rise. And if they can't give it, it might be because of business circumstances or it might be you're not ready. And a good leader, again, should explain the steps you should get through to actually then be eligible for the pay rise. So we've got to stop worrying about looking like a fool. I think it's like there's no stupid questions. Mm -hmm. If you prepare, you're never a fool, mm -hmm. you know. Um, is it ever okay to accept a pay cut? Because I... This is, you know, with, we've talked about companies mm. in trouble. I've got a friend who's been regraded because the company's in trouble mm. and she's accepted that. I th in, this is something that's going to start happening more, I think. Gillian? Mm. I, th I think it's, a, I mean, it goes to the fact that a job is not just about money. Yeah. Mm. Right? So, um, and it's difficult to say blanket yes or blanket no. Mm. Um, and I think it's more sort of like you have to look at the job, the opportunity, you know, uh, whether you believe in the position, whether you, there's a, you know, whether you believe in the reason that's been given that you need to take the pay cut, all of those things. And if the answer for you is, look, I still believe it's worth it, go for it. Mm -hmm. My only sort of like caveat is realize that, you know, if people are asking for salary histories, that then can anchor your negotiation for the next position that you take. Um, and so doing the homework, going back to that old story, is really, really, really important. I think you've raised quite a good point there, though, which is um, one we haven't touched on. Not all salaries are equal in different businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and Pip talked about creative industries, but some businesses offer higher salaries because they're perhaps technically less attractive than others. Mm. Some have flexibility. Um, you know, so you have to take the all of these yeah, um, working environments. So one of the things we do, and really we have um, you know, a really cool office, and in the tech team they have 20% goal cards, which means that 20% of their time they can spend working on their own projects. And that's something we do because we're competing mm. with businesses that are currently much bigger than ours, mm. such as Google and Amazon. We know how big those businesses are and you know, they can offer very big salaries. So um, other companies do cool things to try and make up those gaps. And, and it's all about what's important to you. So, especially mm. in a millennial economy, yeah, mm. a lot precisely. of people, time might be the thing that people yeah. are, are wanting. Yeah. yeah, it's time, but also actually purpose as much as paycheck. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's yeah. making a difference in the world. And, you know, there's lots of research that millennials want to, their teams to feel like families. It's mm. not like that separation of church and state anymore. And 
Um, so we run off um, OKRs, not KPIs, at the dot. So it's like an alternative um, that was invented by Intel but made famous by Google. And actually, my first result as a CEO is 10 out of 10 happiness for my team. Um, and it sounds really airy-fairy, but that includes pay, but a load of other things. And we do quarterly surveys where I survey my team. It's all anonymous. And I ask them, how happy are you coming to work each day? Why do you love working at the dots? And then I ask the same question three different ways, one of which is like, what would you do as CEO and how can we improve the business to make you happier? And what's really interesting about those survey results is sometimes it is pay, but a lot of times it's, it's other things um, which are kind of much more emotional around yeah. what we're doing at the business. And there was also this brilliant piece of research that they did where people are, would prefer to not get a Christmas bonus, but would prefer an office party. So given a choice between an office party and a Christmas bonus, you're finding people are starting to choose the office party. So there is a lot of other things around pay. That's so when we through. think about money, yeah. we all need to widen it out into yeah. what are the other things what I value. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's the most yeah. important thing. What makes you happy? You know, that's the holistic whole. I mean, that's what life is about, is being happy. And pay is absolutely a part of that. But what is the everything else around that that makes you happy? Mm. One group, I think, often suffers uh, uh, women coming back from maternity leave or returners. Mm -hmm. I, I think there are special things to negotiate around that or to think about in terms of money. I think some of these um, holistic things are also included mm -hmm. in that. Emma, have you got any thoughts on that? You must have had people returning to your departments over the years. Yeah, and I returned myself right. just a year ago. Right. Um, so I, a year ago yesterday was when I started at Unruly. Um, and um, yeah, I was offered, um, my boss, actually, Sarah, said, um, I presume you're going to want to talk to me about flexibility now, which was really nice that yeah. she brought up the mm -hmm. subject. Um, I chose to come back five days, but it was definitely an option um, to do something slightly differently. Um, and I've got someone returning in October, and we've had the com we had the conversation quite early on what her working hours would look like now that she's got a baby. Um, we didn't talk about because it, it wasn't relevant but um, yeah it involves quite a different mindset yes. I think because um, especially in finance you're used to people working very very long hours and you have to reset your expectations and make it about I mean it always is for me anyway about outputs rather than you know how long you're in the office um, but you know I've had to do it myself so it's good I can very much empathize actually the need to place value on on your output and yeah. while allowing you to leave at five, six, yeah. when you might have been leaving at seven. That's yeah. quite a hard conversation to have, actually, sometimes. When you, you know, I remember when I came back from maternity leave, like, am I still worth, you know, I'm not going to be here till eight o'clock at mm. night anymore. Am mm. I still worth the money? Mm. And I, I think it's something people feel quite insecure about. I think mm. probably in a freelance environment it might be easier. Do you think? Pip, or is I, it? I mean, the, the brilliant thing about freelancing yeah. is it does give you that flexibility. I mean, I, I, freelancing isn't as black and white as people think. It's not like you're a freelancer or not. We see a lot of fluidity yeah. between people adopting portfolio careers, working three days so that they can spend two days with their little ones or do their own businesses on the side. So there's a lot more fluidity. So freelancing is a wonderful way to get that kind of flexible working without necessarily being an organization. I think something really interesting we see in our data is when mums are coming off 
off mumhood sabbaticals, as we like to call them, they, they're actually de-leveling themselves on the dots. So they're putting themselves as more junior because they're oh. feeling like they've been away. And I think that is a definite yes. no. You are still as amazing as you always mm, were, yeah. even if you've been on a mumhood sabbatical. Um, and the other thing we've done, um, which a lot of, because we work with around 8,000 businesses now use us, and this is starting to become a bit of a trend, is businesses actually letting young fathers also have flexible working which I think is really yeah. important because we've got to start sharing yeah. the, mm -hmm. the parent, parental burden. So I think, you know, the fact that dads who have little ones can also leave at 4 or 4.30 to go to bath and, you know, that's kind of an important step for us to get yeah. that equality. Yeah. I think the shared parental leave is a huge step yeah. forward. Yes. Yeah. Um, it really is. My husband did it. He took mm. three months off. Mm. Um, and it was wonderful for his relationship with Sophie and and also just to make sure there was a, a complete equal balance between what I mm. do, what he does. Um, yeah. And it levels everything in the workplace as well. Mm. He leaves, he probably does more five o'clock leaves than I do. So you can share that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had a question. I don't mean to ask such a personal question, but along with this flexibility and, and your husband, was he proactively offered flexibility? Did someone sit down with him and say, look, I'm sure you want to talk about flexibility now? Because for me, just the idea that they would not single you out, obviously, historically, it's very common. But if they didn't, someone didn't sit down with him and even say that, one, you'd feel bad for him. But also, you feel bad for all the women who are automatically being labelled as you are now the mother who now has to leave work early to go and look after your child. Yeah, I don't actually think anyone did um, take him to one side. I think I knew about it um, from where I was working and said, hey, you, sh you know, this is brilliant. This is such a great opportunity for you. You should do it. And um, But it, we're not quite there yet, certainly where he was working at the time, in that he got no pay. So I'd actually taken up all the statutory maternity pay, so he got nothing. Um, so that's, there's not real equality, because really, why would... If you're thinking financially, why would someone take time off if they get nothing versus a woman who gets some maternity pay? But I do know that some companies that ha actually have equality there, which is really fantastic. But I think there's still some way to go. I spoke to um, a friend who's a lawyer, and I'm sure this isn't all law firms, but he said, there's no way that that would fly where I am. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't get the career progression that, you know, if I was leaving at five or I took, mm. you know, some parental time off, which is a real shame. I think we're going to move to questions in a minute. I just had one off. Let's move to questions now. Question down the front here. <laughs> Hi, uh, I think you briefly touched on this earlier. Uh, in some businesses, I guess I'm in financial services and tech, um, how important is it like the salary history? When you go to employers, they usually ask for your salary history. I don't know what the research says. Do they actually look at it to estimate if you're good enough? Or will this affect the way they see you? Will this affect your opportunities? And in the end, will this affect your pay. So, for example, is it better to, to go to a place when you are at a certain level or wait until you get to another level? You see what I mean? Because you do your research and you see what people pay, but a lot of the time, at least in my business, they just give you a certain percentage increase of whatever the previous person paid you, <laughs> and that's how it works. So, I don't know if it makes sense. Who'd like to tackle that? Emma? 
Yeah, <laughs> the salary is definitely being asked mm. so that they can anchor you and kind of work out how much you're going to accept in the new position. Um, you know, companies are just trying to manage, generally trying to manage budgets. And so I guess the mentality is why overpay when, you know, I can pay less and the person will accept. Um, so with that in mind, don't think that's going to change unless this legislation comes in, like stopping people asking that. I think um, when you're supplying that information, just say, I'm on this, <coughs> I expect this plus X. And as Gillian was saying, that then puts a line in the sand of what you expect. And then the other person is, has that in mind when they're thinking what they're going to offer you. I'm and as long as you've got backup as to why you think you're worth that, then just go for it. Sometimes, it's, I mean, yes, absolutely one motivation is to manage budgets. Um, but there's also a motivation of making sure that their expectations are in line with your expectations, mm. right? So there's no point in anybody going down an interview process if you expect this much, but their budget is only really this much. Mm. So there's sort of like... Um, yeah. uh, 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 good and bad reasons for why they're asking for this information. Um, I, I definitely think that you know they're asking this so that they can anchor the negotiation subsequently. So you want to re-anchor in the technical speak that we use. Um, but then um, uh, the other things that you want to think about too is even if they're talking about a salary of you know let's say as you said ten percent above what it is that you're currently making, you know think about whether there are other items that you want to be negotiating above and beyond pay. Going back to this conversation mm -hmm. that we said that uh, money is important, but not the only thing that is part and parcel of a job. Finance is a bit more tricky, but maybe there's still things that you would want to negotiate on. Yeah, like bonus mm. if if one exists or yeah. um, holiday entitlement. You know, there are other. There are other. We haven't talked about bonuses actually. Mm. Are they a big motivator for Mike Pitt? Do you find people go for bonuses? Or yeah, I think or it depends it in the industry and how mm. you can structure the bonus. But yeah, yeah bonuses and, and share options as well. Obviously, in tech businesses, share options are a big part. Be careful though. I once was in a room of a load of found or um, startups and said, who's been given share options? And everyone put their hand up. And I said, who's actually made money from shareholders yeah, options? <laughs> and about two people put their hand up. Exactly. So I think, you know, share options does, you know, incentivize you to be part of the journey, but be realistic that, you know, startups are hard, scale ups are hard, you, you mm. know. But if you're being given share options by, you know, Google, take Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lady to hear in the... Um, thank you very much for your insight so far. Um, I was just wondering, when it comes to language and phrases, are there any particular form of words that go down well in negotiations, especially around salary? Well, we spoke about one earlier, didn't we, about not using kind of emotional reasons for getting a pay rise, and um, also I've had people cite lifestyle. <laughs> you know, paying <laughs> private school fees, things like that. That doesn't certainly go down that well with me. Um, I wouldn't say that, um, for me, any specific language, it, you know, I would kind of look at the person as an individual. I think it's just about um, tangible evidence to support the rationale. Bring the numbers. Mm. Not, so, not just numbers, but, you know, I did this, I 
did this on my own, I suggested this, I ran a project, you know, because I, I appreciate what you're saying, you know, you can work incredibly hard and not feel like you're being rewarded, but I, I, I think sometimes managers are so busy that they're not mm. constantly monitoring what everyone in their team is doing, and so it's not always, you know, sinister, it's just that they're too busy to perhaps recognise, so I do think the onus is on the individual to um, kind of sing their praises, and not everyone's great at that, um, it, it's true, and I think you just have to kind of overcome the kind of cringeworthy moments and talk about what you've achieved, and that stands you in, in much better stead, unfortunately. Is that helpful? Okay. Uh, How do you know if um, all your effort that you're putting in your job, all the hard work that you are doing, deserve a promotion with a higher salary increase okay. rather than just a higher uh, a salary increase nego negotiation? Well, you can try and get a promotion with your salary increase. Well, I mean, I think, you know, uh, I, I, I hate to sound like, you know, uh, a, a broken machine, but you know, it's about looking around, doing your homework, right? So if you're, if, wherever you are, the next, the next um, level up, what are their responsibilities? You know, first and foremost, do you even feel comfortable with those responsibilities? Um, if, for instance, you're already doing some of those things, then I think the argument becomes much easier for saying, you know mm -hmm. what, I actually deserve a promotion because I'm already doing a bunch of these things that are required of this next level, um, and then you get your double whammy. I think it's I, good. Yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, um, ask what it takes to get a promotion, yeah. and then you're in a good, then you can have that as your goal. That's what you're working towards, and then when you get there, hi, I've, I've done yeah. it, promote me. Yeah. Um, very hard to argue with that, isn't it? Pip, do you want to say uh, Yeah, and I think your advice earlier in terms of, you know, it's very much a seller's market right now. You know, there is just not enough people for the amount of jobs that are out there. And I think, you know, going for that, getting a counter offer is always a brilliant way. Mm. Go and see if you can get the yeah. same job mm. at a different business yeah. and then use that as a counter offer to come back. And well, but say then also this. now you, you know definitively, yeah. are so you good enough to get Somebody it. now believes yeah. that you're good enough for this higher level position. But again, make sure you have that counter offer. I mean, my old boss at MTV actually once walked in to our CEO at MTV and said, you know, he, he, he gave all the job specs, this is what I'm worth in all other businesses. And, the CEO famously turned around to him and said, this is MTV, resign, I can find someone the next day. So make sure you actually have <laughs> So, um, So it also depends which sort of company you're in. Excellent. Um, but that's, that's going back to the best realistic alternative. Yeah. So yeah. that is yeah. a situation where you haven't got as much bargaining yeah. power as perhaps another yeah. And I think what he did foolishly is he literally went in and said, I'm going to resign. And I think the no, moment you get confrontational, or emotional with a boss, and I thought that was just brilliant advice, they're gonna get confrontational and emotional back. If he'd gone in and structured it instead of like slamming everything down and saying, I'm gonna quit if you don't give me this, which was kind of the conversation, he probably would have got further, but mm. emotion leads to emotion and then suddenly you're in a- you're Take in the a, heat out. Yeah, mm. take the heat out. Uh, Lady here. Thank you. Um, and feel free to give me sort of the same answer around doing my research, because that, that will likely be, be, be part of the answer. Um, but so I work for um, a software company now as well, still scaling at, at quite a significant rate, um, which basically means for all of us in the business, we're all doing more than our official job description requires, right? So this reasoning of, um, it, you know, look at all of the projects I've done and all the initiative I've shown, that's 
sort of what's expected and required and certainly shown by, by all of us. So how, as an individual, do you then go into a salary negotiation or a pay rise negotiation if you know that everyone around you is doing an amazing job? Oh. Good question. Everyone's a, a high one. achiever. Everyone's <laughs> a high achiever. I'm hiring, by the way. No, I'm <laughs> um, what oh. do you think? I think, you know, get... A, a, then this might go back mm. to get the outside offer, right? Yeah. If the yeah. I mean, and the, the, the thing with the outside offer is that it's useful in many different ways. I think it creates confidence in you. It shows you your value. It gives you options. Because all of a sudden, maybe you love where you're working and, and you're, you're putting so much of your time and energy into it, but you just don't know what's on the other side of the fence. It, when you have this other option, maybe all of a sudden, you know, despite the fact that you love this job so much, there's something better out there, then that changes your perspective completely. So I, in your situation, I would suggest that you, you consider you know, uh, uh, looking at another offer or trying to get another offer. Thank you. Right, there was somebody at the back, yeah. Um, oh. My question is, um, in order to, to have a better negotiation, uh, should we maybe lie a bit? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just an idea. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, absolutely not. Okay, abs, abs, absolutely not. Um, and I'll, 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 I'll tell you why. Um, it's a very small world. Um, if you, uh, if your lie is found out, um, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Not just with this one job, but your reputation is going to be tarnished, and it might affect your ability to find other jobs. But also the fact that, imagine, you're lying to these people and you want to have a long-term working relationship with them. If it gets found out in any way, shape, or form, even if it's like an exaggeration, not quite a lie and all that, it's going to leave a bitter, bitter taste in, the, in their mouths. Mm. And that's just not what you want for a place that you're hoping to have a long-term relationship and career. Mm. So, I mean, I, I have not been very categorical in much of my um, advice because the life <laughs> is complicated. But on this one, I'm going to say no. <laughs> and on the, the salary um, point as well, you have to provide your P45 or yeah. 60 yeah, or whatever yeah. it is to your new employer. So they will see your salary. Yes. Also <laughs> lying on your CV, I would imagine not a great or embellishment. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> I see, one does see quite a lot of that. Right. Anybody else at the front? Um, do you think you should ever accept more work without more pay? Mm. With the mind of eventually being equipped to ask for a raise or a promotion or... I mean, we're all asked to do that, right? Is how, do you, how do you handle that? Oh, I have done that. I, w I mean... Mm. I've never kind of thought about my job as a job description, and I've always relished additional responsibility and tasks, so I think, yes, I have. I've, I've actually never said, oh, if you want me to do that, I need X more money. Because um, I think it shows, this is my philosophy anyway, it shows you as um, a kind of positive person, keen to learn, and my experience has been that People respect that, and you will get rewarded mm. in the future for that effort. Mm. 
My, my chairman of the DOTS is an amazing guy called Sir John Hegarty. He started an ad agency here called BBH, and he has this amazing saying, which is, chase the opportunity, not the money. Mm. And I think I have done it as well. Mm. So when I was at MTV, I accepted a role to be head of marketing and start a channel in New Zealand with no pay rise because I was 24 years old and it was ridiculous that they were making me head of marketing. Um, and, you know, I worked my ass off and I got completely remunerated for it in the long term. So mm. I think there are examples where you, you chase the opportunity. Um, I don't think necessarily at junior levels. I think yeah. it's as you go up. I don't think we should be expecting, we should never be expecting people to intern for free. We should be mm -hmm. paying juniors their worth. Yeah. But I think as you get more senior, there are those opportunities that you go, you know what, this is worth going after and this is worth getting it in my kind of portfolio or CV. And it depends how much more work you're taking on. I guess there's a tipping point at which it gets you know, unsustainable. But I think a good argument would be to do the, the work and then ask, demonstrate that you're doing it well mm. and then ask to be rewarded appropriately for that. The other thing is, I think, uh, especially when it comes to women, um, sometimes we do this extra work and then we don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about how we've done all this extra mm. work. Um, so one way around this is to have a champion, somebody who recognizes that you've put in this effort and can tell the decision makers, hang on, look at all this extra work that this person has done and done such a good job of and so on and so forth, to sing your praises for you if you're not comfortable doing it. If you're comfortable doing it, by all means, you, you should, um, so that you can get compensated subsequently. Uh, you know, and again, thinking compensation broadly. Um, uh, but if you're not, then have somebody do it for you. No, I think we've covered pretty much all the financial bases. <laughs> <laughs> it remains for me only to thank our wonderful guests, Pip Jameson, Emma Humphreys and Gillian Koo, and thank you all for coming. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.